Amen. We will not live in fear, but we will live in faith and we will declare the goodness of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Good to see you this morning in the house of God. Can you believe next Sunday is Easter Sunday? And uh, we want this house to be filled with seekers and worshipers and people who want to honor and worship and praise the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so we encourage you to keep praying, inviting, and believing God. Amen? Amen. If you take your Bibles, open up with me to Revelation chapter 4. Can you believe we finally made it through the seven churches of Revelation? Amen. And uh, we're grateful for uh, all of God's people that are faithful to serve as the pastors of this church are away. We have built this church not on a man, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. The elders know that, the pastors know that, I know that, that what we do, we do for the glory of God. And we put him first, and all of us are called to do our best to... Uh, move forward the church and the kingdom of God. So I'm grateful for all of you that were faithful in serving and attending and those that weren't, God knows who you are. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 4. Uh, next Sunday I'll obviously take a break and preach an Easter message. But we're going to continue to walk through this all-important, all-powerful book of the Bible. We have been hearing incredible test classes on Tuesday nights as people are getting engaged with the Word of God and are growing in their understanding of God's, God's plan. And it's been powerful. It's been great. And you um, are going to be hearing from a, a different perspective, more preaching than teaching, not having the interaction on a Sunday morning. But nonetheless, the Bible tells us that there is a blessing there is a blessing on those who read and those who hear the words of this book. And so as we uh, look at Revelation chapter 4, I want to read uh, this, this whole chapter. We are transitioning now. If you remember, chapter 1 verse um, 19 provided uh, a divinely inspired outline of this book. And... Jesus tells John, he said, I want you to write the things you have seen. And that was chapter 1. The revelation that he had of seeing the resurrected, glorified Son of the living God in, in words that were uh, as best as John could describe, but they were inadequate because they couldn't fully communicate the person, the glory the, the, the reality of who Jesus is in heaven right now and what he's like. And he did his best, and, and that's chapter 1. And then, then Jesus said to John, I want you to write uh, the things which are. And that would be chapters 2 and 3. And deliver messages from Jesus to each one of them. And then Jesus said, then write the things which shall be. And so right now, in chapter 4, there is a transition. There is uh, the third part of this outline from chapters 4 to 22 now become prophetic. They now become futuristic. John will begin to see the unfolding, the unveiling, the unraveling of the plan of God for the future. And we believe, according to the signs of the times, that Jesus could come back at any time. Yes. 
And that the things that we're looking at that are futuristic could be, become very futuristic. At any time, they can begin to unfold. But John is going to see them in a prophetic sense. They haven't happened yet, but he sees them as they will be. I want to read the whole chapter. If you would look along with me. And I want you to, I want you to notice. I want you to notice one word that is prominent throughout the whole chapter. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they did not rest day or night. This is what they said. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. What's the one word? Throne. No less than 14 times in this one chapter, in all of the book of Revelation, I believe it's mentioned 46 times. But in this one chapter, it is repeated over and over and over again. It becomes the prominent word. Maybe even in your Bible, you might have a heading that says the throne of God. If you go with me to Psalm 29, the best way to interpret Scripture, one theologian said, is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Psalm 29. I want to read the whole psalm. This is a psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. 
Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord, Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. He strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. And the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Hallelujah. I just love that verse, verse 10. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. I shared several times during the last year, especially at the beginning of this worldwide pandemic. I declared Psalm 29, verse 10, that the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. What did I mean by that? In this context, what was David saying that during a calamity, during uh, this, this flood that would cover the earth and, and would be such a tragic, tragic event, the Bible says that even in the flood, God sat enthroned. What do I mean this morning? Is that no matter what is going on, even today, even now, the Lord is enthroned. During the upheaval, the calamity, and the chaos on planet Earth, God is still on his throne. No matter how desperate things get in this world, God is in control. The word throne in chapter 4 of Revelation is used, as I said, 14 times. What does a throne represent? It symbolizes power, majesty, authority, and sovereign rule. A throne represents the power and the dignity of the one who sits upon it. Chapter 4 in the book of Revelation, above all, is a vision of the royal throne of God and he who sits upon that throne. Why is it so critical? And when we are in this transition, we have just looked at the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. These seven churches had experienced severe persecution. They had a, a, a Caesar, a, a Roman emperor, a leader over them, one who was sitting on a throne, one who was harassing them. There was persecution, there was deprivation, there was all kinds of suffering that the people of God were going through. And you see, John did not, well, God, but through John, did not want them to forget that there is a throne which is above every throne. Come on, somebody say amen. There is a throne in heaven that is far above all of the things that people go through, all of the things that you and I go through, that there is an authority, there is a sovereign, there is a ruler over all. 
There seems to be rulers and authorities and leaders in our country and in our world, but ultimately it is God who is in control. And after all people do and after all they say, ultimately God will have the final say because he is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the God of all gods. You see, for John and the people that it's written to, you have to, again, get into the context. And we've heard it, the seven churches, and to hear what, what they were going through, the, the persecution, the martyrdom, the suffering, the cut off from family and, and work and all of that. You know, they lived in a, in a world that was full of evil and, 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 and it was just rampant. And, and apparently, it seemed that those who were in authority were propagating more evil and mindsets and philosophies and there were cultural shifts that were shaking the very core of the church and of the people of God. And it seemed like that, that, that things had become so ineffective. But how many of you know that appearances are deceptive? So what happens? You see, John will now be snatched from this little isle of Patmos, and he'll be translated and transported into the very throne room of heaven. What a radical uh, uh, shift. <laughs> you want to talk about being in prison, uh, being exiled to this little island under the rule uh, of a Roman emperor, and, and all of a sudden he's taken into the very throne room of heaven. Look what the Bible says. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. What was the first voice? Revelation chapter 1. When he heard a voice, the Bible says, it was so powerful, the voice was as a mighty thunder and, and, and rushing wind and, and, and a waterfall. It just, just had such a powerful, powerful, he couldn't even fully describe it. And what does the voice say? Come up here, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. John is called up a little bit higher. You know, it is always wise to heed God's voice to go a little bit higher. You know, the Lord is always calling us up a little bit higher in life, amen? The devil's always trying to pull us down. People are always trying to pull us down. You know, it's that, it's that crab mentality. I didn't say crabby. I said the crab mentality. You know, when you put a bunch of crabs in a pail, you know, when one tries to climb out, you know what happens? The others just grab a hold of it and say, oh, no, you're not going up. You're not getting out. You're coming back down with us. And a lot of times that's what people have. They have a crab mentality. They don't want you to get ahead. They don't want you to be blessed. I'm not talking about anybody here, so don't look around. But, but they want to pull you down. But see, the call of God is always to go up a little bit higher. What did Moses do? The Bible says he went up on the mountain. 
He's met with God. The Bible says of Jesus in the New Testament that he would go up unto the mountain and he would meet with his heavenly father. What was he doing? He was leaving the lowlands of discouragement and despair and fear and negativity and all the voices around him. And he said, I'm going to go up a little bit higher. I challenge you. I encourage you. Silence the voice of man. Silence the voice of the critics and go up a little bit higher. Get in the presence of God and things will change. The psalmist said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to that rock, that rock that is higher than I. You know what David was saying? He was saying, there's a place of security. There's a place of stability. There's a place far above the enemy. Lord, it's a higher place. I can't get there in my own strength. But Lord, lead me there. Lead me to that rock that is higher than I. Lead me to that place where I'm free and I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing your presence and there's such a peace. Come up a little bit higher. You know, when we traveled to Israel, what was very interesting, and this was ingrained in the culture of the people of God, no matter where you were in Israel, to go to Jerusalem where would be the temple of God, where God's presence would dwell back then, there was always going up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter if you were in the north or the south, you always went up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter where you were, higher elevation, lower elevation, they always understood going to Jerusalem was going up to the house of God. And so you and I this morning, when we came in here, you know where we were going? We're going a little bit higher. Amen. We were going up to the house of God. We were going up to the mountain of God. We were going up to a place of the presence of God, leaving the lowlands of discouragement and despair and getting our eyes on Jesus. That's why praise and worship is so powerful in our church services and even in our lives. Come up here from earth to heaven, from what was to what shall be. I don't need to explain to you or convince you that we're living in a world of chaos. We're living in a world of division and confusion. They were facing it back then. That was the context. But we're facing it today for sure. You see, John was getting this vision to write to the church, not just for them, but throughout the church age, of which we are still a part of. From the day of Pentecost until now, this is known as the church age. We are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. You see, they needed to know that there was a God in heaven that was seated in power and authority. Above all other powers, above all other authorities. And you know what? God Almighty will have the final say. At the end of the day, God is going to have the final say. Not political leaders, not world leaders, no one but God Almighty. Our faith and our trust are in God and in His Word. For John, for the church, It was about a change of perspective from earth's perspective to heaven's perspective. You see, that's the transition right here. We just got out of the seven churches. 
Now we're, we're, we're transitioning and what's happening? God is calling John up. I want to give you a new perspective. I want to give you a new vision. I want you to see things differently. Isn't it true in life, you and I, we get so, we get so fixated on, on a human perspective? Isn't it true? We look at things so many times in, in, in so many situations based upon what it looks like from a human perspective. The suffering, the injustices, the questions, the pain, the difficulty. From a human perspective, and you know what then? What people say, you know, how people treat us, what people do to us. Can't that jam us up? Am I speaking to anybody that's real here this morning? It can jam us up. This heat's jamming me up. Can we turn it off, please? <laughs> it's hotter here than it was in Florida. We did get tested. We tested positive for awesome and negative for COVID. But we, we, we check, we, we look at things from a human perspective and, and we get locked into that. And you know, that's a trick of the enemy. That's a trick of the devil to get us focused on what is going on, what people are saying, what they're doing, how they're treating us, what's going on around us, what's happening in politics, what's happening in the workplace, what's happening at school, and we get fixated on that. But John's called up to another perspective and God begins to reveal things to him. You and I need to, to get to a view from God's perspective. One of the, 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 the prime illustrations in the Bible is the life of Joseph. You know the story as a young boy. He receives great visions from God. Dreams. Of, of amazing things that, are, that will happen in his life and through his life. He shares it with his older brothers. They hate him for it. Think about it. He's a teenager and, and they so hate and despise him that they want to kill him, his own flesh and their own flesh and blood. Instead of killing them, they had mercy on him, if you call it mercy. They sell him as a slave. Imagine the brothers are sitting around, shall we kill him or sell him as a slave? And they had a soft change of heart, maybe a mushy moment as they're eating their lentils and soup or whatever. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Oh, and then they're patting their, themselves on the back how good brothers they are. So they sell him into slavery. He goes down into Egypt. And he's in a culture, he's among a people that, a language he doesn't know, a people he doesn't know, and he's only a teenager. Think about it. He becomes a, a, a servant in the house of Potiphar. He's serving, he's doing the right thing. The Bible says God is with him, but he's still in slavery, still in captivity. He does the right thing, he flees temptation. Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar wants to sleep with him. He runs, he flees, he wants no part of it. He says, how can I sin against God? He runs, he flees, and he's lied about. They catch him, they apprehend him, they put him in jail. 
He's in jail. He does the right thing. And he begins to interpret dreams. And, and he interprets the dreams of one man who gets out. And the man forgets about him. He has to wait two more years. From a human perspective. How could God allow this? God, where are you? Why would you put me through this? I did the right thing. Look what happened. I did good, but bad happened. Come on, is anybody listening this morning? When you do the right thing, when you honor God, when you live right, when you flee temptation, when you, when you serve God, sometimes bad things happen and your friends who are living wrong and your friends who are not doing the right thing seem to be blessed, so seem to, things seem to be going good. But you know what? At the end of the day, God will honor his word. So, so for, for Joseph, he could have got discouraged, despondent. He could have been defeated. But instead, he persevered. He kept believing. He kept trusting against all hope, against all prospect of a good future. He kept on believing. And, and maybe it was like he, he, he felt like David. I would have fainted. I would have given in. I would have given up unless I had believed. I would see I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You see, what Joseph found out, what you and I need to find out, that his brothers were not in control. His captors were not in control. Mrs. Potiphar was not in control. Sexual harassment, that's what that was. But God was in control. What happened? Joseph is released. He's exalted. He's blessed. And then he comes to this revelation. I want you to get this this morning. In, in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, he tells his brother, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, what was, what was happening here? Joseph was shifting like chapter 3 to chapter 4, seven churches to the throne of heaven. Joseph is shifting from an earthly perspective all that happened to him. He's shifting to a heavenly perspective. He sees it from God's perspective. He says, you know what? Somehow, someway, God turned it all around for me. Somehow, someway, you meant it for evil, but God used it for my good. Makes me think of Romans 8, 28. And now we know that all things, we know that all things, we know that all things, I'm sorry it's stuck. We know that all things, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are the called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, God is still on the throne. Think about what Joseph went through when you think you've got it bad at school at work, in your home, through praise, through adoration, through worship, when we come into the house of God. It's not just the preliminaries. It's not just, well, I'll wait for my favorite song and then I'll worship. I'll wait for the mood to, to be right for me to lift my hands. No, you come into the house of God and you, you see as it is in the book of Revelation, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. 
What do you see in the book of Revelation? There is worship around the throne of Almighty God. Oh, I don't have time to get into it all. I don't have time to get into the glory of the presence of Almighty God. You see, we have lost our wonder. We have failed to be awestruck by the, the things that we should be. We, we think uh, a football player is awesome. We think a movie is, is, is so powerful. And we think about a TikTok post. Wow, did you see that? That was incredible. We have got so mixed up in our perception and our understanding of life. And, and we get emotional over things we shouldn't. And in the things we should, we don't. And, and instead of coming and seeing, look at the book of Revelation. John did his best, but it was all inadequate. Think about the glory of Almighty God that these seraphim, these, these creatures are around the throne and they're worshiping and they're perfect and they're beautiful and they're awesome. Don't get hung up on the description. John was doing his best to describe it. They were symbolic and represented something. Eyes in front and back just, just uh, uh, symbolized God's all-knowing and all-knowledge and seeing everything. I can't get into all of that, but what I want you to get this morning, that angels and elders and these awesome uh, descriptive uh, of these creatures, they're worshiping God, and all they're saying is holy, holy, holy. They are in the presence of Almighty God, and let me tell you, brothers and sisters, heaven is going to be so amazing. I see, we get, we get hung up on on the images we see on, on, in the movies or on get well cards of these little cute little chubby little angels floating around with a harp and we say, I don't want that. You know, someone, uh, who was it that sang the song, I'd rather, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Uh, someone said, you know, heaven's going to be good, but I'd rather be in hell where all my friends are. How stupid can you be? <laughs> hell is going to be a place of torment. You're not going to be with your buddies drinking and playing cards and doing all this stuff. You're going to be in utter darkness with wailing and gnashing of teeth. Heaven is a place of beauty and holiness in the presence of God and un unmitigated, unfiltered, pure joy from the very throne of God to be in the presence of the God who created all things for his pleasure. Think of the beauty, think of the glory, think of the majesty, and, and see you and I, when we come into the house of God today, we worship God according to the revelation that we have. And if you don't worship God, that means you need to get a greater, or if you worship God in a little way or a small way, you need to get a greater revelation. You need to see what it's really like from God's perspective. How many of you are with me this morning? You see, through praise and worship, the Bible tells us in Psalm 23, verse 3, God is enthroned in our praise. What we do here this morning is enthrone God, almighty God. And when that begins to happen, the glory and the presence of God comes. I want the singers and the musicians to come back. There's a song we sing, you deserve the glory. For you do miracles so great. You know, it has been said that you are only six people away from anyone in the world 
You're only six people away. Another, another survey or another uh, uh, sort of research that was done said you're only four people away. What does that mean that you and I are only six people, four people away from anyone in the world? Back in 2005, we had the superintendent of all the assemblies of God worldwide. Over tens of thousands of church, millions of people. Uh, Brother Tom Trask preach here. My wife and I went out to dinner with him, spent time with him. He left here to go speak to, to have a private meeting with the, the president then, George Bush, to meet with him in, a, in the Oval Office. So just think, I was two people away from the president. And whoever the president has ever met with, world leaders, whoever, wherever, maybe three, four, five people, you never know how God could connect you. But my point is, something greater than that. We are only one person away from the one who sits upon the throne of heaven. We are only one person away from the one that angels are crying, holy, holy, holy. The one that, that you have these creatures not protecting God, but protecting man or protecting from that glory that is so powerful. Only one person away, and you know that person is? It's Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God. There are not many gods. There are many gods, small g, but there's only one God with a capital G. There is only one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It is important today that we know him. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins? Have you put your faith in Jesus solely and completely? You see, in the book of Revelation, we're going to see over the next few chapters, God pouring out his judgment. People don't like that. I've even heard a lot of Christians have a difficult time with that. And you know what? I would have a difficult time with that if it wasn't for the cross. If it wasn't that there was one who took all our penalty, suffered all our shame, suffered all the wrath of God, he took it for us so that we could go to heaven. And the wrath of God will be poured upon those who reject Christ, who reject what was already done for us. What more could God do? What more could he do for a sin-sick world? He gave his only son who suffered, bled, and died on Calvary. And the wrath of God will be poured out. And even in the book of Revelation, we're going to see over and over again where it says they did not repent. They did not repent. What does that mean? It means that God was, was trying to, even in judgment, he was looking for repentance. He was looking that people would turn to him. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I don't want to see anybody go through this family or friends, the judgment of God. But there's only one way out. It's through the cross. It's through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And if you have not repented of your sins, if you're watching by live stream, 
You need to commit your life to Jesus. He is the Savior. This morning, if you've already come to faith in Christ, as has been the message in the seven churches, is there an area you need to repent? Is there an area in your life that there's sin? And you know what? I don't know all that's going on in your life, but I've been around long enough in church as a pastor and realize that in any church service, there can be people who are involved in all kinds of sins, and I'll just leave it there. I don't say that to condemn you, but I say that to encourage you. What did Jesus say to each church? Repent, therefore. Repent, change, turn away from sin. And you know what? I want to close with this thought as we sing this song. You know what's so amazing? You know how Revelation chapter 3 ended? Verse 21. I think this is so powerful. I don't think I ever saw it like this. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Hello? Oh, I wish you would get it this morning. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I don't know how that's all going to play out, but that sounds pretty good to me. That I'm going to sit with Jesus, ruling and reigning with him. I don't know how it all works out, but I like it. Can you come up with something better? No way. No way. Would you stand together with me this morning? I want us to sing that song. But even now, the Bible says, set your affections on things that are above, not on the earth. Can we in the next few moments before we close with a few announcements and bring our offering to the Lord, can we have a change of perspective in these few moments of time where we just get a glimpse and the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and causes revelation, causes understanding that we see God in a fresh way. Because I believe this freedom that's going to come in your life, deliverance, breakthrough, blessing. Come on, let's declare it. Let's sing it this morning all over this place. Come on, lift your hands, lift your eyes to that throne room in heaven. Because of the glory.